You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My number one influence of deciding what I did and my core values, if you could call them that, would have been based on what I saw on and what I was entertained by. But then it's going to be great and we're going to love it. And people just do it all the time on their honeymoon. It's going to be something I don't even know. It did not work out like that for us. Like I got to a point where I didn't even want to try to have sex. I had believed lust for so long. It was really hard to believe love was real. Like I almost was like ready to just accept we won't have a sex life, but we were missing out on some another level of deep connection that we didn't even really understand was possible. You almost hear the worst stories that you think are the worst and then you so you minimize your own pain. No, we can't talk about sex. You know, we don't Song of Solomon's ripped out of my Bible. (laughs) Delayed pleasure till later. I'm willing to do it because I if I'm Christ to my family, gosh, I what an awesome opportunity to actually be able to give a sacrifice that's a small percentage of the sacrifice he gave. Past the, not the point of pain, not the point of, of mental, emotional barriers, but now enjoying it. Small sacrifice, small mindset in marriage. Large sacrifice, large mindset in marriage. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, You might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about going from sexual disconnection a healthy sex life. And before we introduce our guests, we wanted to give a shout out to somebody who left a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. And it's a little bit longer of a review, but it's worth it. We wanted to give them a shout out. So they said, my husband and I have been married for a little over a year. We met five years ago. Honestly, minus a few bumps in the road that we navigated with great mentors in our life, we've had a great relationship. But recently we started listening to y'all's podcasts and I can tell a major difference already. What was already great is getting even better. We are so excited to start the monthly live date nights. 
We will link that in the show notes for those who are wondering. Uh, This person, M1201, also said, just wanted to share this. After listening to your first podcast, we loved how you guys used a vase to remind you guys to pray together every day. We decided we needed our own vase in our relationship. We ended up creating a flag like the ones that go on mailboxes. If it's up, we know we still need to pray for the day. If it's down, we know we've done it. This has helped both of us tremendously. Thank you for all you're doing to strengthen marriages. But we say thank you. Yes. Thank you guys for that uh, feedback and uh, sharing that tip. That's a great tip. So cool. And we'll, for those who are wondering what they're even talking about, we will link um, the YouTube video we did on praying together uh-huh. as a married couple um, in the show notes here. So thanks guys for the shout outs or thank you. We're shouting you out. Thank you for the reviews. It helps a ton in reaching more couples. Today's guests are Cole and Kate Zick. They are the current directors of Moral Revolution, which is a fabulous resource for those uh, navigating our difficult um, climate Mm -hmm. regarding morality. So uh, they're directing that and they are doing an amazing job. Yes. And it's our honor and privilege to have them with us today on the podcast. Um, they were youth pastors for 13 years, and then they became the directors of Moral Revolution. Um, they have four children, and they travel all over um, teaching and preaching about healthy sex and sexuality, um, not just in marriage, but also what it looks like to have purity and a healthy idea of sex and sexuality as a single person. Um, and then also the parenting piece. They're just incredible, and they're here to share their story today of going from sexual disconnection to a healthy sex life. And just a little disclaimer here for those that are listening on uh, without headphones on, we're talking of course about sexual dysfunction and, and gaining that connection back. Mm-hmm. So we are being fairly uh, open, open yeah. and vulnerable with our wording and, and they're extremely, they're going to be very open. Yes. So, <laughs> so whatever that means for you, it depends on the age of your children, et cetera. But if you need to have headphones or listen when you're not with your kiddos, um, just a word of caution. Yeah. Feel free to do that. And so we're going to jump right into this interview. So welcome guys. Thanks so much for being with us today on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks. We love the Kings. Yeah. We're so excited to be here. If they call, we, we come running. <laughs> Uh, Well, Cole and Kate are, um, we respect them as colleagues who are coming alongside this effort that we are also engaged in, in ministry. Um, Adam said it earlier when we were just chatting, but to revolutionize morality. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But man, you guys have also become friends um, in just a short time. And uh, we're so, so thankful that you guys are here to share your story today. Yeah, we're very thankful. We, I remember listening to just a little bit of, of your guys' story and told Carissa, we need to have them on because there are so many couples that have been in your shoes, yeah, but don't have the, the platform or even maybe the courage to mm-hmm. talk about it openly. And yeah. so that you guys are able to, and, you know, express and, and share that is so valuable so that people know, Hey, I am not by myself in this spot. Here's maybe all these people did it. Maybe we can do that too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's our, that's our hope. We're sometimes too open for people's comfort, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it really, I think for us is kind of been a marking scripture for us, our whole individual life when we were single and then marriage is like first John one, like bring it into the light, 
anything you bring into the light, the Lord is faithful to redeem, to bring forgiveness to, to restore purity to. So the longer it sits in darkness, the longer it's going to sit there without the redemption of God's ability to restore, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think that's our hope everywhere we go is if nothing else, we want to just encourage vulnerability, encourage openness and help people to see the value of, of bringing it in the light. I love it's that. so good. When you said that, bring it into the light, the image I got is, you know, when you first experience this traumatic moment or these things, you, you make it mean something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You place meaning on that and then you set it in that darkness and don't touch it for 20 years yeah. and you never let God look at that with you and say, maybe this is not exactly the meaning that I want you to have with this thing or yeah. with this experience, you can let me turn it into, you know, something that mm-hmm. I can make something of. Yeah. yeah. That's what redemptive lift is all about. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, uh, redemptive so- lift. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, we want to dig right into your story. Um, let's maybe rewind and just start with where you were individually before you met and started deciding on a life together. So um, maybe we'll start with you, Kate. Talk about um, you as an individual before you met Cole. Yes, I would say as a young teenage girl, I was definitely influenced immensely by culture. Um, I was living a life by the age of 12 that would be like labeled as mimicking the movies I watched, living the lyrics I sang, my number one influence of deciding what I did and my core values, if you could call them that, would have been based on what I saw on um, and what I was entertained by. So I was- MTV. Yeah, MTV. back in the 90s. Yeah, the movies like American Pie, rap lyrics that Mm -hmm. I can't even repeat because they're so disgusting. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's what I found my identity in. That's, I found my power and popularity and being wanted by many guys. And it just escalated yeah. really quickly from the time of my first kiss at 12 until being with multiple guys by the age of 14, 15. Um, definitely like the early years of hookup culture before it was even as like for the language for there it. wasn't language for it. It wasn't quite yeah. as glamorized yet. It was a little bit more like under the radar. Uh, we didn't have right. social media and all of the mm-hmm. video influences. It was more of like my pager was blowing up with booty calls and I felt proud of that because I thought, oh, that means that I'm achieving something. I'm winning. I'm, my list of hookups is longer than the other girl. So I'm better because wow. I'm more wanted by more guys. Um, so lots and, and lots you actually of felt valuable because of that. Yes. I literally, I have a very vivid memory. I'm a Florida girl born and raised in Florida. So it was like bikinis on the beach, always wearing barely anything. And I remember laying out on a dock one day with a group of girlfriends and my pager was blowing up. And I remember thinking like, I'm so cool because I am getting all of this attention. Like these girls only wish they could have this attention. And I was hooking up Mm -hmm. with her brother at night when I slept over there. So I just thought I was the best that other girls wanted to be me and every guy wanted to get with me. Like that was my Mm. identity as a young teenager for sure. Wow. Because you're basing it off of what you're watching. Yes. And that's, Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. most of the, like, it was definitely, I was in exclusive relationships um, in seventh and eighth grade. And then in freshman year, that exclusive relationship, the boy cheated on me. And I made this subconscious decision that said, oh, if he can do it, I'll just do it better. And so then I started oh. cheating on him every week, weekend, 
parties during the week, getting drunk and hooking up with random guys. Cause I just thought, Oh, I'll just do it better than him. So it was like that wow. trigger of like, well, girls will do it better. Like you can't mm-hmm. get that on me. And so that's when it definitely mm-hmm. spiraled into many more hookups without any connection or relationship or even knowing the guy's name sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you were, um, I mean, you're talking about freshman year. Did this progress all the way through high school? So freshman year was definitely the worst freshman and sophomore year. Um, yeah, I was definitely the underclassman that was invited to all the upperclassmen parties. So it was like this, like mm-hmm. I was on buffet, I think basically she was the oh. buffet. Yeah, I was the buffet. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And, and even more fed into your like, oh, I'm I'm achieving right now. A hundred percent, because I was like the only freshman, so it was like all upperclassmen. Mm-hmm. I got taken under the wing of some of these girls, and yeah, like it was when the thong song was popular. Like I remember singing that probably. I'm like, that's probably the only one that I can even say the word of, because the rest are so like gruesome and disgusting. Wow. The things that we would like take pride in. Um, yeah. But so what happened is my sophomore year. I was at my friend's house that I partied with on a Wednesday after school and her mom was a Christian and she was like, if you're at our house right now, you're going to church. And we didn't have (laughs) cell phones yet. So I had no escape. Like I was like, my pager can't get me out of this situation. Like I can't like ride my bike somewhere, you know? So uh, she took us to church and it was youth group. and It was the first time that I heard um, even the concept that God had a plan for my life and that Jesus wanted a relationship with me my religious upbringing before that point would have just made me think if God is real, like he just wants to punish you for making mistakes. Um, No Mm. relationship, no plan, no idea of him knowing me or me knowing him. And so that planted a seed that led me to saying yes to going to a summer camp with my Christian cousin that lived a few hours away and got to go to a summer camp where my reputation couldn't follow me. So Mm. I was still all about the hot boys and I probably had my eye on 10 of them at the camp. Remember your journal? (laughs) Yeah, my journal from the camp. It was like the, it's funny because it's like back in style now where people like decoupage the letters from magazines or whatever. Uh But it said like hot guys like on the cover of my Bible, like my <laughs> summer camp journal. <laughs> uh, she walked in and all of the counselors were like, oh, that's my project for the week. <laughs> for sure. Oh, and I had lots of guys that were my project for the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's thankfully, so, the yeah, I'm, just glad, I'm just glad to have become her project. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yes. So thankfully, the Lord encountered me there in a huge wow. way, called me out of a crowd uh, through this crazy prophetic word that I just, it was undeniable. It was like a silent fleece prayer in my head and just said, you know, this is it. And so the theme of the camp was no looking back, no going back, no way. And I literally didn't. I left that summer camp, wow. went back to school the next year, a completely different person. They call, started calling me Jesus freak. They started saying, you don't want to hook up with Caitlin anymore because she doesn't put out. Uh, I mean, the mm. narrative changed very quickly to the point where then I was leading others to that same youth group and just telling them all about God. That's so wow. awesome. Yeah. What wow. a complete... 180 there it was I was miraculous I was almost kicked out of the school because like I went to a Catholic school so it was like the priests that were the principals and my track coaches like finding out about moments of like Mm. oral sex and all this crazy stuff and uh Mm -hmm. you get three strikes you're out and I lied about the third strike and said I was sleeping through the party when I was actually like drugged out during that party Mm-hmm. Um, and the, then it's totally switched to where I'm, I'm live like leading these like live Jesus retreats and like telling them. Wow. She started a retreat her senior year for freshmen that still goes on to this day at the school oh, yeah, called seven, Live Jesus. So yeah. incredible! Yeah, it's wow. yeah, helping freshmen. Wow. Way. Yeah, I love her story. <laughs> I love that. 
I love her story too. Let's hear your story, Cole, and then we'll talk about the merging. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I was raised in the church. Um, I'm one of five and we were raised in a way with my parents that they really presented a relationship with the Lord as opposed to like, Hey, go look good for the Christians at church. So they all think we're in a Mm. a good family, right? Like we didn't, I've heard the horror stories of Christian families that faked it for church. Yeah. Um, Right. You know, not that we were perfect. We had plenty of things that we had to fake when we went to church too, like all the other families. But, um, <laughs> you know, it really the prioritization in our home was relationship with God. Like, what is the Lord speaking? Um, what is God telling you? I remember, and I couldn't have been older than five or six, feeling like I sensed this warmth on me. And I asked my dad, like, dad, what is this warmth? And he said, it's the Holy Spirit sign. Like I'd get up at like five or six years old and watch Gloria and Kenneth Copeland at like 5 a.m. in the morning <laughs> at five. Like I'd be sitting there by myself wow. and, and watching it. That you know, like early. I had this thing we, I made for preschool where you like, you know, you have your career day and I had my mom handwrite preacher on it. Oh, like, wow. You know, so Aww. I think God spoke identity and identity to me really early in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know, and my mom reinforced it constantly asking us the questions or the, making the statement, remember who you are, remember who you are. We'd leave the house. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are, wow. you know, by the time mm. we got to high school, we didn't have a lot of rules. I didn't have a curfew. I, I mean, we didn't, it was just simply you left the house and she, you'd leave and she'd say, remember who you are. You know, and, and she growing up, that was there was a strong sense of identity in our family of who we were, um, who God was. What did you make that mean? Like when you hear that from your mom, like what what is the meaning that you have into that statement? Now that's, or that's when I was powerful, sixteen, <laughs> you know, it'd be interesting how it sh- would shift right as you grow older. Totally, but I think there's a lot of people that forget. Mm-hmm that powerful question. It is true. You know, I think when I was in high school, it was irritating. Like, all right, mom, you know, I, I will, <laughs> I, you know, I say, my name's, I, my name's Cole. Yeah. My name's Cole. <laughs> you know, you know, I'll say it to my kids now. And my, my second son, Connor's like, dad, that doesn't even make sense. Of course I remember who I am. I'm Connor. Like, how would I forget that? You know? Um, but you know how it marked me as I probably, by the time I was 10, I probably had found pornography countless times. I couldn't count how many times I'd come across magazines, boxes of magazines, you know, in Michigan, you, you got 10 cents for cans. So in the summer I would basically trash pick for cans to buy candy. Mm -hmm. And there was this one place in particular, a car wash without fail, multiple times a week, I would find porn magazines that people had thrown out when they were cleaning their car out. Wow. And you know, I look back and I didn't even realize the impact of that, that statement from my mom. But when I look back and put myself back into the mindset I had, like I would literally run away from the trash bin and not come back to get cans from there for a whole day until I knew the trash bin was reset and there was new trash bins in it. And I remember when I think about the why, I remember thinking back, my mindset was, I don't look at this. This isn't who I am. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't do this kind of thing. There's mom's question. It is. And I didn't give her the credit for that in my head at the time. Right. Like you're just, Mm -hmm. I just had this conviction to to run the other way. Right. I mean, you Mm -hmm. guys would know even more than we do how many people accidentally find it and then it becomes a life addiction. Right. Like absolutely. There was so much identity infused into me by the Lord, by my parents that I knew really quickly in an instant what wasn't my identity. Like I knew right Mm -hmm. away what wasn't me. 
And so, you know, never looked at pornography still to this day, go to high school. I didn't have, I mean, I had, you know, a couple girlfriends, but we never mm-hmm. crossed any lines, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Caitlin's the only woman I've been with, the only woman I've said I love you to, um, mm-hmm. the only woman I've done anything sexual with, you know. I, mm-hmm. I unfortunately have kissed a few girls besides Caitlin, but um, that's the extent <laughs> of my extra yeah. sensual interactions besides Kate, you know. Um, yeah. But you really kept yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. And I, I, you know, by it's funny, it, it's my sophomore year of high school, a buddy of mine on the track team that I thought I could trust, I didn't know what masturbation was, right? Because I wasn't even in these types of conversations mm-hmm. with other guys. I went to a large public school. Yeah. I just didn't ever, like, somehow I just always stayed away from that stuff. So I asked this guy, I sure. said, hey, you know, can you, I think I can ask you this what's masturbation? Cause I actually don't know. And everybody talks about it. And I always act like I know because it feels like everybody's doing this and I don't know what that is. And he goes, he just starts laughing. You don't know what it is. And he, within a week, the whole school knew oh. that I not only didn't masturbate, but I didn't even know about masturbation. Wow. And honestly, that probably was the best thing for me with my personality mm-hmm. style, because the more that people question me about it, the more my personality says, all right, I'm bucking up and I'm definitely not doing this now. Like, all right, let's go. My dukes are up, right? Like some people may have been humiliated. I was like, I had something, I had another layer of something to fight for. You know? yeah. So I had a, the yeah. roughest season of my high school was probably between my junior and senior year. I really wanted to begin to be popular. Started going to parties, never got drunk or high or anything like that. I did tripod twice in my church parking lot, but it didn't get high from it. Funny enough, but like I had probably this nine month period where I was, I still knew the Lord, but I was kind of, am I missing out? Yeah. Right. Um, and so I started to go to some of this stuff and thankfully God even protected me like even within that. Right. But mm-hmm. even in the, that season where I was like in a questioning state of my own life, I still have this, well, I'm not masturbating. I'm not getting with the girls. And, and at that point it was probably more out of rebellion to culture that I was in. Like if everybody mm-hmm. else is doing it, I'm not doing it. Like that's how I am yeah. still to this day. Like, okay. you know, if somebody tries to say, well, everybody's doing this call, you should too. I'm like, that is the number one thing to tell me so that I'd never do what you're saying. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> probably is. a good rule. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever any number that makes me, that's my mentality. So, um, you know, and then I, I had a, a, another encounter with the Lord between junior and senior year that like was my last, I would say that was probably the last time where it was like the Lord had to refocus me again. And then from that point on through senior year in, in college, um, you know, just really stayed that course until I met mm. her and I mean, c- continued it and then got married. And now I have lots of sex instead of no sex. <laughs> <laughs> Good to Love know. It. Now we have the broad narrative there. Yes. Now now they have lots of sex instead of no sex. Um, <laughs> let's hear about your individual stories merging. Um, when and how did you meet? I went to School of Ministry in Fort Myers, Florida, a program called Master's Commission, part of the Assemblies of God. And she was a senior in high school in the youth group. Um, you're not allowed to date. And I got kicked out after three months, not for dating. Um, I, I'm totally wide open to share the story. I'll do it another time. I don't want to waste any of the time on the podcast, but I got kicked uh-huh. out. My dad said, you can't come home. You got no room here. Figure it out. So I moved okay. in with this kid, slept on the floor in his bedroom for months till I could get on my feet. Excuse me. And then in that process, we met. Yep. I was friends with the guy that he lived with. And then we fell in love very quickly. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. How fast? Like I knew I loved her within the first 30 days. Wow. That's quick. And I had a girl in high school I dated for two years. And when she said, I love you, I said, thank you. And she didn't <laughs> like that answer. And I said, because I'm just, I'll, I'm, I've always been like, just honest. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't love you. And if I told you I did, I'd be lying. I like you a lot. Once I feel like I love you, I'll let you know. Yeah. I thought she but wanted honesty. I appreciate honesty. the sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> she did not like my honesty. No. You think? Yeah. So I'm not, I say that to say I wasn't like, I wasn't like this hopeless romantic. I hadn't mm-hmm. dated a bunch mm-hmm. of girls. I wasn't always falling for somebody. Yeah. His uh-huh. mom and sisters were like, we've never seen him act like this before. And I'm like, oh. Mm. Yeah. You're like, great. She's like, that's what I do to get. so you kate had completely shifted at this point i mean you how how long were you shifted two years so i mean it was like the summer before my junior years when i got saved so then when we met it was my so yeah it wasn't even two years yeah a year and a half it was my senior year like the fall time of the senior year Mm mm-hmm yeah and i dated a couple guys once i got saved like from the church that basically just spiraled downwards in different ways. We're like, oh, we're waiting till sex to get, or waiting till marriage to have sex, which I was like, awesome. Like, this is this new idea I've never heard of. Um, but uh-huh. then they basically convinced me that everything but sex was okay. The no. guys that were leading on the worship team. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So my tragic. first experiences in church with guys were not good. Um, but at wow. the point when I met Cole, like I wasn't with anybody and I had just kind of been like, mm-hmm. yeah, looking for a good guy mm-hmm. that actually was a good guy. And so, Yeah. yeah. He stood out. And you found that in Cole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Poster boy. I don't know about that. that Poster boy for purity. I don't know about that. (laughs) Uh, So, of course, people are here and they've probably seen the title uh, of of the podcast and wondering, okay, well, you know, you guys are both now in church. Sounds like you guys are both solid and love Jesus. And, you know, you've turned your life around. Why is... You know, why isn't intimacy working for you guys? Yeah. And what happened? So uh, a little bit more of context of my story. So even though I was very sexually active, I hadn't had intercourse. It was Mm -hmm. everything but with many men or boys, really. So when we got married on our honeymoon, him having no experience and really me with sexual intercourse, having no experience and having lots of time before the Lord where we were, you know, definitely keeping like for me, keeping myself pure, getting ready the only sex talk I got was kind of like, it's going to hurt the first time and then you're going to be fine and you're going to love it. So that's what I went to the honeymoon with. That was pretty much the whole scope was get ready for it to hurt, which I'm kind of a baby when it comes to pain. So I had to like prepare myself. And then I'm like, but then it's going to be great and we're going to love it. And people just do it all the time on their honeymoon. It's going to be something I don't even know. And uh, it did not work out like that for us. Yeah, we, we didn't have, we, we didn't actually have sex on the honeymoon. Um, and well, I'll kind of go fast through this a little bit. You know, we've, Found out Caitlin had a physical issue down there. And so mm-hmm. when we were, ha- she was giving birth to one of our boys. Our first one. Her first one. The doctor, she had went to the doctor and said, hey, I've got an issue down here. It hurts. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, you haven't had, you should have had more sex before marriage and you stretched it out and you'd have been fine. Was the doctor's oh my advice. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I was like, oh I, I was convinced. I'm like, no, there's a physical issue because it's excruciatingly painful every time that we have intercourse. Yeah. So then she gets... We were delivering the first baby and the doctor says, hey, you have extra tissue down here. She named, it's, it's actually a condition, named it. I can fix it right now. I just have to do a little surgery and remove this extra tissue. Would you want me to do that? She said, wow. yes. 
happened uh-huh. and then sex stopped hurting physically for her at that point which was wow. huge yeah so oh that was five goodness. years into marriage yes and then I- so for five years it, you guys did not have the greatest sex life how would you describe your sex life for five years it was i mean sporadic a lot of mo- emotionally draining nights where we would try to move into it and we it would be another letdown and i'd feel rejected mm-hmm. she'd be crying i mean we were maybe trying once a month Mm-hmm. Maybe. And it, a lot of times it wasn't happening because it would be hurtful. It, it hurt her. Um, I, I would say that those first five years, sex was emotion, an emotional um, beat down. Yeah. Is probably mm-hmm. how I would describe yeah. it. It was so challenging to mm-hmm. even, like I got to a point where I didn't even want to try to have sex. I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? I actually at one point, maybe this is why the Lord saved me. Because I don't need sex like a bunch of other men need it. And I never built an appetite. Why did I not build an appetite? Because I have a wife that can't have sex. I can still love her. And I I almost was like ready to just accept we won't have a sex life. And this must be why God kept me pure when I I could have went a hundred different ways. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So I, I was thinking of questions before we started here. And that was kind of one of them. How did it affect, or did you see it affecting other parts? Because we have clients that kind of fall into that, mm-hmm. into that, how you were just describing your attitude about sex of like, you know, mm-hmm. we're good. You know, we're, we're just yeah. not going to strive to get there. Or maybe there's fear if we fix this part of our relationship, then he won't need me anymore. She'll just won't need, mm-hmm. you know, like, need, won't need to work on the relationship yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Did you have it affecting other areas of your marriage? We'll be right back to the interview, but first we wanted to share something that we are really excited about. So, you know, we all have those times where we don't feel super connected to our spouse and we really don't know what conversations to have to get us to that connected place. And then on top of that, we're so busy that we don't prioritize those conversations. And that's why we created the monthly live date night. And monthly live date night is every month on a Friday night for 90 minutes, 60 minutes. We focus on a topic that uh, you guys pick and then 30 minutes we do a QA and a and it's live where we're all together asking questions and giving answers on topics related to your marriage, your intimacy. And we share tools. Uh, We have handouts that we call homework because we want you to be there to listen and to soak in. But we really want you to take action in your marriage, too. So come join us live for the next monthly live date night. Check the link in the show notes for dates and details. All right. Back to the interview. I think it did in ways that we didn't quantify or didn't have language for at the time. You know, it's the unique part of my story of like Caitlin being the only place I've ever had an orgasm from. She's the only, I mean, she's it for Mm -hmm. me. Right. So it's built up or this dependency on orgasm ejaculation. Like there wasn't that, like that a lot of times, you know, obviously it's not like people look at porn for that moment, but that moment becomes addictive when they're using it to respond to something else. Right. Like, right. So, I mean, you guys are writing the books on that kind of stuff, but I think for, for, me, because I hadn't had anything in that realm, it was a really accept, easy thing for me to accept. I, mm-hmm. I don't look at our relationship in those five years and think we had a bad relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Personally, now, now I know that's where we get a little bit different from a lot of people because I think a lot of marriages, when sex isn't happening, their relationship is super struggling. I would mm-hmm. say that where well, because they know what they're missing almost is that what totally. you're saying? Like you didn't know what you're missing or the bonding experience that could happen there, so it wasn't something that was you were driving for or demanding. It was like yeah, a, mm-hmm. it was like oh, well. well, I guess I don't get this, and I, I would say I would I would evaluate our relationship as good. Yeah that was our biggest point of pain for sure. for sure. And we would come back to that. And we were, we were getting, trying to talk to pastors and leaders and anybody that would mm-hmm. listen yeah, and that would give advice. And, and really the church was ill-equipped. I mean, yeah. I don't think we got any good advice till we went to a counselor. Like none of the pastors yeah. gave us anything that was, yeah. that was helpful. It was, were people even was open? Vaseline. Vaseline. They were somewhat open to talking about it, it sounds like, yeah. but just not equipped to to really give you anything substantive that would help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we found ourselves kind of trapped in that cycle. And I, I think that the biggest thing that we lost in that season was probably like when I look at now and I look at the connection and the bonding that lovemaking has given us now that it's thriving what we were missing wasn't necessarily like it hadn't created a bunch of pain points for us, but we were missing out on some, another level of deep connection that we didn't even Mm -hmm. really understand was possible. That now I would actually say we fight less. We, we disagree less. We disagree better and more healthily when we do disagree. And I don't know that that's all because we have a good sex life, but I definitely think that's connected because our intimacy and lovemaking connects us. And now we know how to disagree better and we can do it without, offending each other or, you know, we did, when I do look back, I guess now that we're unpacking this with counselors, <laughs> like we would raise our voice at each other. Like we don't do that mm-hmm. ever anymore. Yeah. Like I can't mm-hmm. think, think of the last time we raised our voice at each other, right? Like we used to mm-hmm. do that at those early years that, yeah. that I think probably was connected to lack of connection there. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. That makes sense. Wow. So did you guys have any sense of urgency to work on this or did it, did it kind of just fall in your lap when uh, the the OB was like, hey, I can fix this. Like I can do this procedure. Yeah. So I would say the urgency, like before fixing the pain was definitely like going to the doctor, talking to people like, why is it still painful? Trying to figure it yeah. out. And then feel for me, my side of it definitely would have just been feeling very hopeless. Like the doctor said, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong. No friends can relate to me. They all say it's not painful. So I just was like, I'm broken. Like something is wrong with me. Yeah. So once the doctor fixed it during delivery, I was so excited. Like I couldn't even believe it was possible. It, you know, recovering from after birth too, and then finally getting to have sex and it being pain-free was like incredible. Um, but mm-hmm. what happened then for us was we realized Oh, so there's still other issues because I was being very, very triggered after that point. Um, I think it was multi, like there's very different things at play. One was just that it was so excruciatingly painful for four to five years. So even just the idea of us doing it would trigger me to think about the pain, even though, oh yeah, it's not there anymore. Like this is almost like phantom pain. Yes. Yeah. Because I never, like, I used to have to hide my face in the pillow when we did have sex because I'm like, he can't see my pain right now. And, like, Mm -hmm. I would want to hide it so that he could at least reach enjoyment for, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's such an awkward thing to, like, undo and then try to redo. But then Mm -hmm. realizing after, okay, it's not just that. It was realizing, oh, I have a lot of emotional things still tied to my past that I thought would have been, like, gone and done. Um, they'd been all confessed. Like I had done like the checkbox of the Christian things that I knew to do. Like I'd renounced everything. I'd confessed everything. I'd prayed every prayer. 
Um, but we ha I hadn't gone to counseling. And I really think what kept me out of counseling for a long time was being in ministry and hearing lots of people's crazy stories, thinking mine wasn't that bad. So, mm. oh, I should just get over it. Like I was never forcibly date raped. I was never like, you almost hear the worst stories that you think are the worst. And then you, so you minimize your own pain and uh, the things that I had been through. So I just thought, oh, I don't need to go to counseling. All of my friends had sex before marriage and they're fine. I didn't even have sex. Like, so it just kept me out of counseling for years. And I think then the pain of this is not okay. If Cole came up behind me while I'm washing the dishes, my body would tense up thinking he just wants sex like every other guy is what was in my head. So um, that was very, then we finally did. I, that created urgency once yes, we realized. Once it wasn't the physical thing. And I would say the urgency ebbed and flowed. Like yeah. we'd get urgent mm -hmm. and then it would emotionally drain us to try to fix something that felt like we couldn't fix. And so, so then we would just like lean off yep. and back mm -hmm. off and then we'd get fed up and then we'd create urgency again. And then we'd try to do something else. We'd talk to somebody else and that wouldn't fix it. And so then we'd just back off again. Yeah. 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 What were the main blocks for you, Kate, when you were um, like, like, you mentioned that one when he'd come back, you know, come behind you and hug you. And then it takes you back into that place when you're younger. Yeah. I think the thing that the line that I've said multiple times that helps like, encapsulated I think is that I had believed lust for so long it was really hard to believe love was real so even though Cole was the poster boy for purity like even though he had never said I love you to another woman never been with another woman I still attached him to every other experience I had with boys and with men so it was like I looked at him and I my body reacted the same way like it's like my body had learned the fight or flight or um, the turning off, like my brain and my body reacted the same way as it did in the backseat with a car that I did feel violated with a guy with my husband who I loved. Like I didn't know how to separate the two from here to here. And so my first counseling session, um, you know, she diagnosed me with PTSD, which I had no clue. I was like, I just know war veterans have something to do with that. Like knew nothing about that trauma and how I was being triggered. So learning that, and then I went through EMDR doing that process of getting it from head to heart and just understanding it more like, and then letting <clears throat> Jesus walk into those scenarios with me of different movie theaters and backseat moments that were extremely traumatic or my, my first experiences that kind of introduced me to these moments, letting Jesus yeah. walk into those moments with me. There were so many, it took 18 months of counseling for me. Some of that was stretched out longer because a it's expensive. So you have to do every mm -hmm. other week cause you can't afford every week. Well, at that time we were making like 30 grand a year or two as youth yeah. Pastors. <laughs> yeah. We were youth pastors <laughs> on a single salary. Live it. Living in California. Living in California. California. We've been making forty grand. By oh, that. God bless remember, you guys. But. And then we got pregnant with our second <laughs> child. So then, like, I literally was in this intense counseling season. But then I'm like breastfeeding a baby, so I couldn't go. So whenever uh -huh. I say eighteen months, I'm like, it doesn't have to be that long, you know. So people are like, I don't want. It. You're like, that sounds awful. But it was right. it was a pretty long process just because of all of those other complications. But on the other side of it, it's like I was totally like the mindsets shifted, the beliefs, the body reactions. Like, I feel like I was actually like totally free from all of that. Mm. Mm. So you mentioned body and that's, I think, so helpful. I think people regularly um, underestimate the importance of body mm -hmm. in this whole thing. Yep. It's like, well, come on, Kate, can't we just have a good conversation and shift your thinking? Yeah. Like, are you just a slow thinker or something? You know, like, <laughs> but it's not, it's not here. You would have done it long before. Totally. What maybe for people who have had similar experiences or maybe not to the, um, 
the severity of PTSD, but maybe something, maybe like severe anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could help them identify what was happening in your body when you were triggered. What would happen for you? Typically for me, I would just tense up. I would just, Mm -hmm. it would be like a retreat mode of like, oh, I can't believe Mm -hmm. him because my body learned how to scream silently, you know, like, I don't like this. I don't like this, but I'm going to pretend like I like this. So it had learned that. Mm -hmm. And so it was, and it was some of that performance achieving. So I'm like, oh, like I could do that then for them. I can't do that now, but I have love here. This Uh wasn't. So it was like just the tension that would just cause me to want to freeze and hide and um, reject mm-hmm. it, but then also yeah. the the tendency to perform because I had gotten good at that. So it was like this, mm-hmm. it was a crazy battle for sure mm-hmm. between body and mind. Um, but learning the science of it, I remember first hearing just even the title of the book, Your Body Keeps the Score and mm-hmm. understanding That's how your body one. holds the trauma. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not crazy. Like, for so many people and why we're so passionate about sharing our story so openly as many times and as often as necessary. I'm like, if one more person can hear, cause I just didn't know nobody, we were talking to people all the time to try to get help, but nobody knew. So I'm like, if I can help one person to realize, Oh, this happens, this is a thing and you can get out of it. Then it's so worth it. Yes. yes. So for those who are listening, uh, she mentioned the book, the body keeps the score. And I believe that's by Vanderkolk. Mm-hmm. That is such a, an excellent book and it shows many different ways of addressing this and it's not just emdr which is a fantastic um way of modality. helping your, yeah. your modality of uh, processing mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's an excellent book we will put that in the show notes for those who are listening so far we're hearing from you guys that you know you you had jesus come in and walk alongside you in this healing process um you had um medical evaluation <laughs> You were reading, you were seeking counsel, both pastoral counsel and um, professional help. Um, Share with us more as you're kind of unfolding the next steps in this story, more of those solutions that um, you put in place. Another really good one for me, and this was actually the first one. The first book my counselor told me to read was called Intimate Issues by Linda Dillow. It's a book written by women for women on sexual issues. And Mm -hmm. this, I used to call it my Christian Cosmo (laughs) because I was like, (laughs) Cosmo has these headlines of like, I'll tell you how to have sex. I'm like, no, this tells you how to have godly biblical sex. And I literally like, it is probably the most used up book I've ever had besides my Bible. Like it's on my night. Mm -hmm. It was on my nightstand. It was dirty. It was underlined. And I would literally go read it just to remind me, this is what God says about sex. And and it Mm -hmm. made me want it. My really, so many of my shifts were mental. Um, A practical solution too is I had to stop watching some of the shows that we would watch. I grew Mm -hmm. up watching Law and Order Special Victims Unit. So you're seeing sex in such a negative, abusive light. Well, that was a big part of it too, is like even once she got the healing from her early experiences, culture's so sexualized right now. I mean, it's been for 20 years Mm -hmm. or more, right? And so she's watching these things and seeing these things, you really can't live in society without seeing it or experiencing it at some level. Right. And what was going on in her brain is she was saying, what I'm seeing on a screen is what you want to do with me. So even after she got healing of her own, she said, that's so dirty. I don't want to do that with you. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that with you either. But Mm -hmm. she had a hard time realizing they're not the same. 
right? Like what's, what, yeah. the, what is being portrayed in that movie is nothing like what we're going to experience together in our mm-hmm. house, in our home because so of good. the love that I have for you, because of the relationship yes. we have. That is what, that's the X factor that changes the connection, the intimacy. That's what yeah. makes ours sacred and theirs mm-hmm. broken what we're watching. Mm-hmm. And so she, like that, that book helped her a ton in separating what I'm watching is not what I'm having. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Kate, what, what would you go back to? Like, so, so often when we're helping people reframe or, or frame um, something when they have this distorted view of what, you know, they think they have to do or what, you know, mm-hmm. society's pushing on us. Um, what did you keep in the forefront of your mind? Like when you said scripture, like God wants it, you know, I don't think many people talk about that as like, no, we can't talk about sex. You know, we don't song of Solomon's ripped out of my Bible. <laughs> like, so like what verses or what ideas did you go back to in the Bible or in scripture? Because we know that's truth. Yeah. This isn't something that you're pushing at me or like, it's something that we all agree on here. Yep. What could you help people with, with scripture? Well, so I'll tell you the first thing. So I think this is why the book Intimate Issues helped me so much is I didn't know where to look. Cause you're right. Like Song of Solomon. Like, I don't even know how to interpret that. Like, how does this, what, what do I do with this? You know, you're like, this is so confusing. My breasts are gazelles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. So you're like, uh, I don't really know where to read. And like, when I first got saved, I read every purity book I could think of because I, mm-hmm. I knew I had all the wrong thinking. And so that book, what it, she did in the first two chapters is she literally takes all of the different scriptures and puts them in mm-hmm. one spot. So it was like nice. her book was, it was giving me the Bible. So I would read the first mm-hmm. two chapters over and over um, because what I was doing is going to the certain scriptures and saying, okay, this is why God created sex. This is what it does for man and woman reading about covenant. Um, this is the, the second Corinthians six is the one that I say the most now sorry i'm trying to pull it up so i can actually pull it tell you it yeah i've sure. had my actual bible in here instead of my phone um <laughs> it worked <laughs> i still need the paper bible i don't like using the app okay yeah yeah so yeah. it's um the first corinthians 6 in the message translation i love it um god honored the master's body by raising it from the grave he'll treat yours with the same resurrection power until that time, remember, your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. Um, you wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I would. I should hope not. So that's the intro. Mm. Uh, but then it's uh, verses 16 uh-huh. through 20. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as it is a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. So realizing like that's all I had experienced before, the kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense, this actually was a huge freedom breaker for me was uh, because when I did enter the church scene, it was kind of, or maybe some of it's from my Catholic upbringing. So I have like these mixed things in my theology. I'm like, which one was right? Which one was new? I don't know. Sure. Uh, (laughs) There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual Mm -hmm. sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were given for, Mm -hmm. or that were made for God given and God modeled love for becoming one with another. So realizing, oh yeah, those sexual sins, it's a little different than me like, 
gossiping and then realizing it and then repenting. It's like, mm-hmm. oh no, these are against my own body. So they've been carried differently and mm-hmm. um, realizing the weight of that and then the freedom that comes from, you know, addressing them. Well, and on the same side, it's addressing what it shouldn't be, but it's also clearly depicting what it should be, right? It's created for Mm -hmm. connected oneness and bonding together. I think that was a big part of the the transfer of mentality too. Totally. And then you can, these scriptures are really long, but 1 Corinthians 7 as well then talks about um, it's great for a good, it says, um, it's, I call it the original Q&A about sex with Paul. (laughs) (laughs) now getting down to the questions you asked me in your letter first is it a good thing to have sexual relations and he says certainly but only within a certain context it's good for a man to have a wife and a woman to have a husband sexual drives are strong but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder so also Mm -hmm. like i feel like that's such a beautiful vision of you are in a world of sexual disorder like we're in it Mm -hmm. so how do you Mm -hmm. you remove yourselves from that to realize, oh, but God has provided a balanced and fulfilling sexual life. And then the next verse says, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband and realizing it's a mutual seeking to satisfy each other. And I love encouraging wives that are stuck like me and any wives that might be listening. Stuck like you used to be. Yeah. Stuck like I used to be. It was, there was only so much that he could tell me like his desires for it to change. I had to, from my performance-based mentality, I had to even just shift out of it just being, oh, like my need to please and perform for him to realizing, no, 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 no. This is what God promised. This is what God created. This is what God Mm -hmm. intended. And I'm going to fight and not settle for less than God's best, especially if it's because of my past. Like I'm like, I will not let the enemy win and continue to steal from my marriage the blessings that God has intended because of my past. So seeking to satisfy also means, yeah, I'm seeking to satisfy my husband, not only because I love him and want to please him and have that connection, but also because that's what God intended. So I'm going to, I'm going to get all of the good glory of the Lord in this Mm. this scenario. I'm not going to settle for, oh man, my past still triggers me and I'll just never get over it. So it was, it was a lot of me just stirring up that own fight of I'm getting what God promised for our marriage. Beautiful. That's there's so much freedom in what you just preached just now. And and it's that abundance mindset. It's saying, I want more of the good stuff rather than like that restricted mindset of uh, duty. You know, like I got to go do this or man, this is so hard because of this. It it's like, no, 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 no. I want that. I want all that blessing and goodness and gift that God has designed. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Beautiful. What was your mindset, Cole? Um, because, you know, your wife is going on this journey and you're with her. What was your journey like? Because I know some guys, and I know you explained it earlier, but some guys don't handle that as well either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the 18 months of counseling, we had zero sexual interaction at all for that year and a half. The first wow. day of counseling, the counselor said, hey, if you guys can you know, restrain yourselves from having sexual interaction right now as we go through this, that'd be good for her to have a reset. I think when she asked that, she was thinking it'd be a few weeks, right? Uh-huh. 18 months later, we still had done nothing, like wow. literally nothing in that 18 months. Wow. Um, and that's but, not exactly normal people. No, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish that on nobody. I hope nobody has that happen to them. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't just, you know, as far as the counselor that asked us to do that, I don't discredit that or 
I you, needed the refresh. Yeah, I don't think she. Yeah, but look at where you are now. Yeah, so exactly. so I don't I don't go back and think. Oh, I can't believe she did this. Like I think she she's phenomenal, and she has been a sure. massive key to our freedom. Right. So, Absolutely. Sure. At the same time, I hope nobody else ever has to do that in their marriage. <laughs> yeah. um, Amen. A reset is a, a normal that prescribed is a normal thing. part of healing from something like this. But the eighteen months piece, I think a lot of people can hear that They're and like, like what? Totally. freak out. Like, let's not go. Let's to not go to counseling because I. Know. I I can't handle that. It, it's yeah, and that's not what we want people to take either. I think counseling honestly saved our connection. Totally. You yeah. know, I think yeah. we would be married no matter what. Like we're the type of like our mentality on marriage is sure. we're in this until either one of us dies or one of us kills each other, but we're in this till <laughs> death do us part. Um, but so we wouldn't have we'd still be in the same house. Yeah. We may not be yeah. in the same relationship though, had this counselor not right. led us through what she led us through. Right. And so, wow. yeah. um, you know, I think my, my mentality, even in that time was I really hung on to the scripture. Um, gosh, I was Galatians or Ephesians. I, I teach this all the time and I always get it mixed up, but where he's given instruction. Yeah. He's sorry. Ephesians five. He's given yeah. instruction to men and women. And he says, yes. husbands, yeah. love your wives as Christ mm -hmm. loved the church, giving himself up for her to purify her from all unrighteousness through the washing of water with the word. Mm -hmm. um, that scripture was my anchor because of a couple of things. Number one, if, I, if I'm comparing my life experience and the sacrifices I'm having to make to demonstrate love to my wife, to the sacrifice he made, I don't really have any ground to stand on if I want to say, oh, I'm giving up too much for this. I'm sacrificing too much for this marriage. I'm, I'm like, I remember distinctly my mentality was, man, if my, I'm called to be Christ to my wife and my family, I'll never have the opportunity to die on a cross for them because that's not needed any longer. But if I can do this, man, this is, if this gets to be my sacrifice and my family's going to be better because of it, like, I don't even know how the grace of God, but my mindset was, man, this is awesome. I am going to be so thankful that I had mm -hmm. to go through this season of sacrifice to see my family win a healthy relationship. Like somehow even in the middle of it, I could see the end. Wow. That scripture, that anchor was like, whatever it takes, whatever I have to give up, whatever I have to delay, whatever set, whatever um, pleasure I don't get now that's going to be a delayed pleasure till later. I'm willing to do it because I, if I'm Christ to my family, gosh, I, what an awesome opportunity to actually be able to give a sacrifice. That's a small percentage of the sacrifice he gave. Like we're wow. talking like a 0.0001% of what he did for us, yeah. but I at least got to do the 0.0001 for my family and fulfill that spiritual role that God's called me to in my home. Wow. So what a frame seriously that because I know a lot. <gasps> I, I mean, we work with people all the time with just a little bit of weight or sacrifice. It's met with a lot of uh, frustration or that's not right or mm -hmm. kind of almost bitterness. Yeah. But to take it, to take the, the Bible seriously. <laughs> Crazy. Um, <laughs> wow. Who would do that? To that's, that's that really, line. really encouraging to hear that that is possible to put that frame mm -hmm. in front of your face and say, you know, there's maybe moments where I could get frustrated, mm -hmm. but this is what I choose yep. to accept and put on my life. 
that one minute sermon just now, I think will be um, homework for a lot of our clients. So if you're listening to this as a result of us prescribing this podcast as homework, you know <laughs> that this is crucial. Tape this to on your treatment. wall. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's marriage, right? Like, so yes. to like really quick capsulize the last six years now for us, even after it stopped being painful for her, it still wasn't enjoyable for Caitlin yet. Like she didn't have her first orgasm until we'd been married for 11 years. Wow. Right. It took us that long to figure out how to get her even past the, not the point of pain, not the point of, of mental, emotional barriers, but now enjoying it. Yeah. And like, I remember like even those two or three years from it does, it, it, there's not emotional issues. And before she enjoyed it, like we were still having sex two or three times a week. Like once it, mm -hmm. once there was no emotional block for Caitlin and no physical block, we were making love a lot. And mm -hmm. once she wow. started enjoying it, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you were making love with me that often when it was not enjoyable for you yet. Like, I'm not the only one that sacrificed. Both, yes. both parties are sacrificing yes. in powerful ways yeah. to create a powerful marriage. Small yeah. sacrifice, small mindset in marriage. Large sacrifice, large mindset in marriage. And I think that both of us mm -hmm. had significant seasons where we had to do things that would maybe be classified as sacrifice or giving something up. Right. When I look back, I'm like, gosh, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It felt like an investment to a better relationship. It felt like an investment to a better marriage, yes. you know? And, and so as great as that was as of a mindset that I had, I'm really thankful that the Holy Spirit led me into that. I'm more grateful for the years that she engaged with us sexually and, and intimately that we got to experience, I got to experience fulfillment in sex long before she did. And she still continued yeah. to engage that, you know, by that time, I mean, it was probably two or three times a week for a couple wow. of years before she was enjoying it. Yeah. And that was like, yeah. like when I look back at that now, I'm like, my gosh, I am so thankful to you. Thank you for being like, so Jesus like yeah. to me that you would do that. Like, I'm almost like, gosh, I can't believe I even let you do that. Like, that's horrible. Yeah. I can't, you know, you well, know, not giving I, and receiving, right? Yeah. That's, that's part of marriage. And that's part of the sexual act within marriage is it, giving and receiving. The commonality too, that I'm hearing from both of you is that you guys are very focused on, this is an investment. You said, mm -hmm. this is, this is like the long-term vision of not like where I am now. This is frustrating, but it's like, okay, look, we're going to be together for the rest of our life. We have 60 plus whatever years of togetherness. Mm -hmm. Let's make this the best we can. This is this yeah. investment's worth it for this long. Yeah. It's literally what I road. said, Adam, when we were going through it, I'm like, we got seven years to figure out sex, babe. Like mm. both of us. And that's the, that's the power of covenant. When both mm -hmm. parties have covenanted in their heart and their mind, the struggle with our current culture is I don't think everybody walks into marriage with a death till death do us part mentality. And therefore they actually don't ever get the opportunity to get where we've gotten in our marriage. Right. Like now mm. for the last three years, I mean, we're doing, we're having sex more often three or four times a week now on, on good weeks two on a bad week and she's getting an <laughs> orgasm awesome. every single time and it's unbelievable and yes. it's connected yes. and it's different <laughs> yes. things. Why did we get there in year 11? Was it worth all 11 years? Absolutely. Yeah. But our mm -hmm. mindset was I'm here until I'm 90 or dead. So I better <laughs> figure out how to invest and make this thrive. Yeah. Cause otherwise I'm going to be miserable because divorce will never be on the table. Yeah. And, and yeah. also, what a strong relationship gives you 
and the rest of the people that you influence. Mm-hmm. It's not just about you yep. right now. It's your family, yeah. but also moral revolution and all the people that you have a voice in touching yeah. their lives and mm-hmm. what they want to achieve now looking at your marriage. Yes. So it's, it's so much more than just, yeah, yeah. just that. Absolutely. You truly are shifting the culture, starting with your relationship with God, your relationship with each other, and then parenting and then yeah. from there, moving into kingdom work with everyone else. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. We yes. love conversations like this. It's fine. So speaking of um, Moral Revolution and your resources, for those who are listening, um, they have some of the most profound training materials on parenting sexuality. Um, we have already started to glean from it ourselves with a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, we're so thankful for what you guys have put out there. So we're going to link some of those materials in the show notes. Um, talk to us about some recommendations you have for, as far as resources. It's book too. Kate's book. Yes. We will link that. Talk about your book for a moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, my books look at you girl and it's just a book for all girls and women of all ages. And it's an identity book of just saying, I want to see myself the way God does, because we just believe that's at the foundation of any healthy relationships is really seeing ourselves correctly. Like Cole talked about remembering who you are. So that's an Mm -hmm. easy eight day read. Um, but then, then definitely parenting sexuality is a great resource on our website. Um, it's an e-course with six, um, six lessons, but then also a bunch of hot topic videos that are very specific to a pain point of, Hey, my kid just saw porn. What do I do? Or I just found out my child was violated. What do I do? So there's lots of very point specific hot topic videos as well as just an overall teaching. Um, we also have what you guys mentioned earlier, the sex church culture series for pastors Mm -hmm. and leaders. And this is for any, you can be a pastor or a lay leader, um, in a small group community where you're just like, man, we want to talk about sex. The volume two was built for leaders, but the scope is a lot bigger than leaders. You know, it's, it's really kind of built on individual stories and then professional based solutions to those stories and how, Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's really got a lot of different story types covered in it. Yeah, um, yep. so good. We had the privilege of attending <clears throat> yeah, that we one there. live and your speakers all did a phenomenal job. Um, you guys, stuff. it covers everything from what we're talking about today with Cole and Kate's story. It covers parenting, sexuality, LGBTQ issues, pornography, um, pornography the list goes on. Marital so unfaithfulness. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah. So good. So we'll link that one as well. Any other resources that you guys would recommend? We recommend Dear Young Married Couple (laughs) often. Um, So take it from a podcast to a session. It will change your life. Sexpectations. Oh, yes. (laughs) We are big Sexpectations fans around here. Yes, they are. (laughs) We sell out of those quickly when we take them with us to to trips. Now, we haven't had a trip. We haven't had a trip in like months now, but... Back when we were yeah. traveling. Um, right, right. Yeah, that's such, such, thank you guys for that. It's such a gift to marriages. So many people, yeah. like one time, I don't know if we told you this, we were in South Africa in a little mini marriage thing and we okay. literally pulled out the deck, started reading them and then broke couples off and said, go answer these together in so at church. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. sweet. So, so cool. great. <laughs> they like, oh, wow. the next session. We don't know. We hope they missed the next <laughs> session. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, guys. This really has been awesome.
All right, we're transitioning to the end of our podcast here. Um, at the end of every podcast, we do a Dear Young Married Couple letter. Right before we do, for those who are listening, if you want to rate and review the podcast, it helps it go really far in reaching many, many more couples. So we'd appreciate that. Um, so on to our Dear Young Married Couple letter. Um, we'd like you guys to rewind to your first couple years of marriage and think back to advice that you wish you would have received and then fill in the blank, Dear Young Married Couple. I'll go first. You end it. Great. Okay. Dear young married couple, never settle for less than God's best for your relationship, your marriage, your covenant, and your sex life. Beautiful. Dear young married couple, admit when you're wrong sooner than the end of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to talk at two in the morning. You could talk at seven at night if you weren't so stubborn and you'd get more sleep and you'd have a healthier relationship. So good. I think that was a dear Caitlin. No, we don't do that anymore. That doesn't happen any longer. We used to. Like, she'd bring it up at like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, seriously? We just sat on the couch for four hours. Why are we talking about this now? You're like, time out, time out. Oh, yes. I'm sure that hit home for lots and lots of couples. Excellent advice, you guys. That's another podcast right there. Thank you guys so much for being willing. And being vulnerable and sharing this, I know this is going to help so many couples. We encourage you folks, go and follow Cole and Kate on Instagram. We will link their personal Instagram accounts as well as Moral Revolution. We'll link Moral Revolution's website, all the resources we mentioned. You will not be disappointed. Thanks Thanks for having us. We love you, Kings. guys. (laughs) All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance, with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple, And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.